This is Our Numinous Nature, and I'm your host, Philippe. We'll be hearing the profound stories of people with a deep connection to the natural world, from herbalists to hunters, wildlife rehabilitators to trappers, artists to homesteaders. The list goes on. My hope is to thread a needle that weaves together the many nature-related passions through stories of reverence. In nature, I've found meaning, a richness for life that grows with each new day. Maybe you feel the same. Or maybe you long to. Okay, so for this episode, we have music provided by one of our good friends in the caving community, Earl Suter. He plays banjo and mandolin and stuff like that. So what you just heard in the beginning was a rendition of Stephen Foster's My Old Kentucky Home, played by our friend Earl Suter. And at the end, you're going to hear Ralph Stanley's Clinch Mountain. The reason I picked these songs is it seemed regionally appropriate with the subject matter of today's podcast. Uh, As I headed into Kentucky, I was seeing signs for Ralph Stanley. So it appears as though... Down in southwestern Virginia, that is where Ralph Stanley is from and died, lived his life out there. I don't know too much about him, but of course I know some of his incredible music. So that's why we have that music on. This episode is a little different than any of the other ones. Completely unplanned. Um, Usually I have a topic I'm interested in and I kind of seek that out. What happened with this one is I'm sure you're all aware um, that there were these massive and devastating floods in eastern Kentucky. I saw somebody on Instagram post about it. I think her Instagram account is called Appalachian Homestead or something like that. And I immediately felt like I needed to help in some way, shape, or form. I have recently moved to Appalachia. We moved to West Virginia before we lived in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. So now that I live in this region of the world and I talk about it a lot and I uh, love so many things about it, whether these this kind of music that you just heard in the intro or um, you know all the folklore that I seek out on the podcast and all of the plants and animals and you know, I'm always talking about it. So I felt as though I have some responsibility to, if there's a crisis that I need to, I have to do something. I really felt that. But then I looked up how far away it was to Eastern Kentucky and it was five hours. So I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to do anything about this. And then about 24 hours go by and I have an Instagram message from today's podcast guest, Stevie Holbrook. And uh, he sent me a message saying, hey, you know, he follows, you know, I was aware of his account. He was aware of mine. And he just said, or he he followed my art and his, and his wife followed my art. And he just said, hey, we really need help down here. And I didn't really know what that meant. Um, I didn't, I felt some kind of pull beyond just, um, you know, posting um posting a donation link or something that I don't know anything about. So I decided to go down there and to hang out with Stevie and help wherever he was helping his 
whole family is down there. His wife's whole family is down there. They both, their families have been in that region for generations and, um, go and help, go look, look and check it out and, uh, record a podcast about it. Um, so I don't really need to say too much more about that because you're going to hear it in the podcast. Um, one thing we kept talking about was how can people listening help? And while we were, while we were recording, it was hard to figure that part out. Um, just because, um, CV at the time didn't have like a direct, um, link to give me to share. But since then he's given me a long list of links and I asked him to just pick a few. I put them in the show notes. Um, I personally don't know how the the money, if you donate, will be distri- distributed. I have I don't know how it, it will work, so I would check it out before donating. But the two places that he gave me are the Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky, and you can uh, go to appalachianky.org forward slash flood forward slash, and I have a link in the show notes. And another one you can check out is Team Eastern Kentucky Flood Relief Fund. And that is very easily Googleable. It'll It's one of the top hits, it, or the top hit if you Google that. And uh, both of these are how to donate to the, the flood relief, which is really devastated. Letcher County, which is on the Virginia, it's on the line between Virginia and Kentucky, um, as well as a handful of other um counties in the area. So as well as talking about the flood, Stevie is a outdoorsman. Him and his wife have a, our backyard homesteading. They live on the outskirts of a small town. Um, and he is a painter and he is deep in, in, um, in appreciation for the folklore of the area and whatnot. So while half of this podcast is kind of relaying the plight of this area at present because of the flood, the other half of this episode, we're going to get into um, his religiousness and notions of God, tons of folklore, um, paranormal stuff, etc. Before leaving Stevie's house, I told him that I think he's going to end up being a pastor because he is quite wise and mature for a 25-year-old about to be 26. And I found that very inspiring and surprising. Um, it's It's in juxtaposition from how I grew up. And I found it really beautiful and quite powerful. And uh, I hope you f- feel the same as you listen to today's episode. So now I would like to say thank you to the Patreon patrons who have made it possible for me to take a few days, get a hotel, drive down to Kentucky, all of these things, uh, it adds up quick. So I appreciate your support with this podcast, and I am going to read out the names of the folks on the top tier. So we've got On Stanley of Pyramid Metaphysical Country Store in Waynesboro, Virginia. We've got Bailey Grenert. Franklin Renshaw, Jamie Nudd, James Mann, Jess Paget, Rachel Hackshaw, Rambler, Ryan Goechner, Tyler Lively, Waterlight, and everyone else on the lower tiers. Thank you all. And 
on an episode that is less urgent, I might start going down those lists and some of my friends here might say a, a little something about each of you as we go down. Um, okay, so the night before I left to head down to Kentucky when I was having trouble getting to sleep, having to get up really early in the morning to make that drive, um, what popped in my head was the end of The Grapes of Wrath, one of the absolute masterpieces of American literature, hands down one of my favorite authors of all time is John Steinbeck. And at the end of the book, I'm assuming many people have read it in school, that it ends in a flood. And of course, one can't, it's hard to contemplate floods without having image, biblical images almost coming to me, coming to one. But I wanted to read this passage um, towards the very end of the book. It's like one of the last few chapters. And, you know, obviously this is fiction as opposed to a lot of the other episodes I'm reading mythology or nonfiction or something for the intro or psychology for the intro. But sometimes fiction can capture such truth in its feeling or in its observation or um, in, it, in its power of storytelling. So if you never read The Grapes of Wrath, for a little context to today's reading, it is about a family of farmers from Oklahoma during the Great Depression, the Jode family, and together with one truck and all their belongings, they are part of a mass exodus of rural people to better, more promising lands. And they are heading to California. And the book follows this incredible road story, this incredible journey. The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, chapter 29. Over the high coast mountains and over the valleys, the gray clouds marched in from the ocean. The wind blew fiercely and silently high in the air, and it swished in the brush and it roared in the forests. The clouds came in brokenly, in puffs, in folds, in gray crags, and they piled in together and settled low over the west. And then the wind stopped and left the clouds deep and solid, the rain began with gusty showers, pauses, and downpours, and then gradually it settled to a single tempo. Small drops and a steady beat, rain that was gray to see through, rain that cut midday light to evening. And at first, the dry earth sucked the moisture down and blackened. For two days, the earth drank the rain until the earth was full. Then puddles formed, and in the low places, little lakes formed in the fields. The muddy lakes rose higher, and the steady rain whipped the shining water. At last the mountains were full, and the hillsides spilled into the streams, built them to freshets, and sent them roaring down the canyons into the valleys. The rain beat on steadily, and the streams and the little rivers edged up to the banksides and worked at willows and tree roots, bent the willows deep in the current cut out the roots of cottonwoods and brought down the trees. 
The muddy water whirled along the bank sides and crept up the banks until at last it spilled over into the fields, into the orchards, into the cotton patches where the black stems stood. Level fields became lakes, broad and gray, and the rain whipped up the surfaces. Then the water poured over the highways and cars moved slowly, cutting the water ahead and leaving a boiling, muddy wake behind. The earth whispered under the beat of the rain, and the streams thundered under the churning freshets. When the first rain started, the migrant people huddled in their tents, saying, It'll soon be over, and asking, How long's it likely to go on? And when the puddles formed, the men went out in the rain with shovels and built little dikes around the tents. The beating rain worked at the canvas until it penetrated and sent streams down. And then the little dikes washed out and the water came inside and the streams wet the beds and the blankets. The people sat in wet clothes. They set up boxes and put planks on the boxes. Then, day and night, they sat on the planks. Beside the tents, the old car stood. The water fouled the ignition wires and water fouled the carburetors. The little gray tents stood in lakes and at last the people had to move. Then the cars wouldn't start because the wires were shorted, and if the engines would run, deep mud engulfed the wheels, and the people waded away, carrying their wet blankets in their arms. They splashed along, carrying the children, carrying the very old in their arms. And if a barn stood on high ground, it was filled with people, shivering and hopeless. Then some went to the relief offices, and they came back, sadly, back to their own people. These rules... You got to be here a year before you can get relief. They say the government is going to help. They don't know when. And gradually the greatest terror of all came. They ain't going to be no kind of work for three months. In the barns, the people sat huddled together, and the terror came over them, and their faces were gray with terror. The children cried with hunger, and there was no food. Then the sickness came pneumonia, and measles that went to the eyes and to the mastoids. And the rain fell steadily, and the water flowed over the highways, for the culverts could not carry the water. Then from the tents, from the crowded barns, groups of sodden men went out, their clothes slopping rags, their shoes muddy pulp. They splashed out through the water, to the towns, to the country stores, to the relief offices, to beg for food, to cringe and beg for food, to beg for relief, to try to steal, to lie. And under the begging and under the cringing, a hopeless anger began to smolder. And in the little towns, pity for the sodden men changed to anger, and anger at the hungry people changed to fear of them. Then sheriffs swore in deputies in droves, and orders were rushed for rifles, for tear gas, for ammunition. Then the hungry men crowded the alleys behind the stores to beg for bread, to beg for rotting vegetables, to steal when they could. Frantic men pounded on the doors of the doctors, and the doctors were busy, and sad men left word at country stores for the coroner to send a car. The coroners were not too busy. The coroner's wagons backed up through the mud and took out the dead. And the rain pattered relentlessly down, and the streams broke their banks and spread out over the country. Huddled under sheds, lying in wet hay, the hunger and the fear bred anger. Then boys went out, not to beg, but to steal, and men went out weakly to try to steal. 
The sheriff swore in new deputies and ordered new rifles, and the comfortable people in tight houses felt pity at first, and then distaste, and finally hatred for the migrant people. In the wet hay of leaking barns, babies were born to women who panted with pneumonia, and old people curled up in corners and died that way so that the corners could not straighten them. At night, frantic men walked boldly to hen roosts and carried off the squawking chickens. If they were shot at, they did not run, but splashed sullenly away, and if they were hit, they sank tiredly in the mud. The rain stopped. On the fields, the water stood, reflecting the gray sky, and the land whispered with moving water, and the men came out of the barns, out of the sheds. They squatted on their hams and looked out over the flooded land, and they were silent and sometimes they talked very quietly. No work till spring, no work. And if no work, no money, no food. Fella had a team of horses, had to use them to plow and cultivate and mow. Wouldn't think of turning them out to starve when they wasn't working. Them's horses, we're men. The women watched the men, watched to see whether the break had come at last. The women stood silently and watched, and where a number of men gathered together, The fear went from their faces, and anger took its place. And the women sighed with relief, for they knew it was all right. The break had not come, and the break would never come as long as fear could turn to wrath. Tiny points of grass came through the earth, and in a few days the hills were pale green with the beginning year. So we're we're in my home uh, currently in Isom, Kentucky, but uh, specific, more specifically in Letcher County. Uh, we were one of the counties that were hard, very devastatingly hit by the flood. It was, I believe, uh, Breathitt, Knott, Perry, Letcher, uh, and parts of Floyd were hit. Uh, so it was like an area the size of Connecticut or Delaware. I've heard. Mm. So describe like. What actually happened? So this, so we're like a week and a half later. Yeah. So the water's down now, but um, the night of the flood, I woke up at three in the morning, uh, give or take, uh, to my dog barking, uh, like he does at, at bears. So I poke my head outside to see if it, what it was, and I see water in the road, which is really weird considering I'm I'm close to the river but not like on it. And it's more like a stream. It's yeah, not like a yeah. huge river. It's well, not I mean, like the Shenandoah I, River or, I, I, no, or bigger. It's definitely not. It's just the North Fork of the Kentucky River. Um, so we had uh, we had our chickens. We had eight. No, we had nine meat chickens in a tractor down by the road, and the water was already up to their um, to to them. They were already standing in about two inches of water. So we hurry and get them in the coop. And as we get them in the coop, we realize the water is still rising. We try to move our cars as far as we can uphill, uh, but that wasn't enough. Uh, we woke up the next morning and everything was gone. Like, Did you actually go back to sleep? We tried. You it, just thought, okay. I was anxious all night. I mean, mm-hmm. I only had maybe an hour, maybe 
45 minutes of sleep, if that, mm. and it wasn't restful. Mm. I uh, just tried to go back to bed and hope for the best because we were thinking that the highest it would be would maybe up to the tires, on mm. the back tires. We didn't think it would be anything like this. And um, it was completely uh, engulfed all vehicles we had. It was over my fence. There were logs being thrown at my house. Uh, logs took out my fence. Logs very nearly took out the house. We uh, um, we looked, and I mean, from the highway to to my house was completely underwater. Like our house was is up on a hill, so the water only reached. Um, it, it it got within four four or five feet to my back door. Uh, it was already over my front porch, or uh, over the steps at least. And then like. We dropped off some supplies to your next door neighbor. Oh yeah, they they your were little neighbor. They, they were completely the water underwater. to the ceiling. Yeah, it was unreal. Uh, we we made it out after a couple of hours of trying to like get everything together on our end. We we hiked out to try to survey what was going on. Um, no cell phone service, no power, no water, no internet. So I mean, we were completely cut off, and people were very worried about us. I found out later. They said by 8.01, they knew something wasn't right because we were never late for work. Um, and um, it was it was hard because we saw helicopters and we could hear trucks moving all morning. But uh, we were trapped on this side of the river and we were lucky. We were, I want to stress that first and foremost, we were blessed that we, uh, we weren't um, in the same boat as our neighbors. Or... You know, everyone oh, downtown. Uh, absolutely. And that's and we don't live near near the town of Whitesburg. The water there crested at forty feet. And there were people um who who drowned in their homes. And yeah. It's hard. It's hard stuff, man. There was people that drowned in their attics. Yeah, you showed me that one house. Yeah. And then you have friends that have been on the um rescue. Yeah. Going up into all these, these Yeah. I, I know a lot of people um have just been trying to do what they can to help. And it's it's hard because one of my friends asked me, where do you start? And I was like, well, this the high school is taking donations here, and this building is taking donations there. And he said, no, no, where do you start? And I thought for a second, like, well, I really don't know. So, like, where do you start? And the way I've I've been looking at it is I need to pick myself up, and then I can help others. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this entire time we've been out trying to help people, mm-hmm. even with with their loss. I'm very fortunate that it wasn't more that we were we're still alive. My dogs were okay. Unfortunately, lost 18 chickens, but um, and our garden's contaminated. But we're working on ways to save it and salvage what we can. So I were fortunate and blessed. And it's contaminated because the floodwaters get mixed in with the sewage. <laughs> it was say like, something about that. It was like half sewage and half diesel, and half house. I mean, there was, I mean, it was that much just rubble just floating in the water. I watched a skid steer take off down the river. I watched tanks and drums and washing machines, like, fly like they were nothing. Yeah, like, literally, so your house, so there's a main road and a mm-hmm. gas station. Then there's, you cross a little bridge, which is the stream that flooded. Yeah. And then your road is right on that stream. And that stream is now completely covered in debris. Oh, yeah. And like, there's, it's kind of surreal. Like yeah. looking down in there, there's a washing machine with like a perfectly stacked like Xbox controller on it. And I didn't like even a video see the Xbox handle. controller. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've honestly been 
I, this is a little dark, but I've been afraid to look too hard into the into the creek. Uh, there's been a lot of a lot of bodies were being recovered and stuff, and it makes you a little nervous, you know. Yeah, because you've told me a bit about that. I don't know yeah. how much you want to say publicly. Yeah, I, I don't really mm-hmm. want to say a whole lot to that because I don't know how much of that can be confirmed and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I know from from friends and family, there's been there's been some body recovery on people's personal property. Um, one of the most haunting things that, cause we drove around. So yesterday we went and we helped clean up this library a little bit. Yeah. Um, and we went and dropped off some donations, but when we were driving around and, you know, we drove through, um, it must've been Whitesburg. Mm-hmm. Um, something that you said to me, which we both found quite haunting was yeah. the X's. Oh, Would you God, say yeah. something about that? Yeah, yeah. So, so though that's how you, how FEMA clears homes that have been searched and there's no people left inside or no bodies inside these orange spray painted X. Like and on the front door, on yeah, the front of front the doors, glass, on cars, on, on car. buildings, everything. Uh, the town of neon looks like a war zone. It I does mean, like you saw it. I mean, it was, there's the guard is there trying to help out. Looting is an issue, but it's, it seemed to been tamed with a heavy police and military presence here right now, which is needed. It's needed. I've heard of people from being out of state coming here just to rob people's stuff. So was that happening, like, because now it's a week and a half. Was that happening within the first few days? Yeah, oh yeah absolutely, in the first two days. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's it's been curbed with the, with the curfew that's going on right now and with such a heavy presence right now of uh, police from out of, out of area. You made me nervous when you said bring a gun. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't kidding. I mean, I I do conceal carry and stuff, but like it's something that is in the back of my mind. There might be somebody who's desperate right now. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine works at a uh, a liquor store and was held up. Are you serious? Yeah. Hmm. And you said that that crime is can be a problem anyway. You said you had someone try to break in your house one time. <laughs> uh, that is usually the case, but yeah, I mean that that did happen here. Uh, Somebody high on drugs did try to come in and store mm. stuff. I chased him off like a like you would a possum or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I mean, it, it happens. This area does have its share of, of problems, and opioid use is, is a, a huge problem in Appalachia as whole. Yes. But um, I would say that for the most part, uh, we're seeing people come together. People who are strangers, people from out of state who have come here and have busted their hind ends to get people water and food and supplies. Yeah, it almost brought a tear to my eye when we stopped. Um, it was really crowded at when we stopped and gave stuff to the people who were driving deeper. Yeah. And they had come all the way from North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. And the Cajun Navy's here, too. Mm. We, we ran into them yesterday, Neon. Hmm. <laughs> Ignore the dogs. We have a bunch of help here. Yeah. So... Um, we went to LCC to get something for our neighbors today. The the high school That's in town. That's high school, yeah. Yeah, and in town, we had uh, we stopped up there, and they're not taking any more donations, which is the listed donation site for the county. But right now, they've had so much water and supplies come in that they are they're turning people away. Mm-hmm. But there are other places that aren't receiving anything at all because they're too deep. Yeah, they're too deep. There, there's no distribution, and mm-hmm. there's no communication between like the help and others. Mm. So everything, because that one, that one distribution center, however you want to call it, the high yeah. school, that that it was completely jam packed with water. Oh yeah, yeah, clothes, yeah, yeah. We were, but there. that stuff is not like breaking out into the into the. It's they're trying to get it out, mm. but there's no real plan. 
And from my perspective, somebody else who's working and volunteering up there right now might say something different. Mm -hmm. But from my perspective and from what I've seen from talking to other people, there is a problem with getting stuff out. So there are people loading up side by sides. There was a kid who might have been 16, 17, and he said, I'm just running water. And we loaded him up with as much water, uh, uh, packs of bottled water as we could into his little side by side. I think we got like eight in there. (laughs) And it's, I mean, there was a guy running a truck. He unloaded the pallet into his truck and he got to the gas station in Dry Fork. And Dry Fork's a very, very small area outside of Isom between Whitesburg and here. And he unloaded that entire pallet of water just at the gas station while he was filling up. And he just turned around to get more water. Mm. And I've seen that time and time every day when I was up there. Um, and I've been I've been tied up trying to get Arab business in order before I can help more people. Mm. But that's something something that you've seen a lot of. Mm. One of the one of the most intense things I feel like that we saw yesterday was um, obviously the people whose houses were completely flooded. Everything's oh, yeah. inside is ruined and like all of their belongings and, and just like there's stacks of them outside. Debris. The road yeah. And just piles of debris wait, wait, waiting for FEMA to come. I know people are starting to get help right now. It's trickling in, but it's like, there's not enough manpower here to ever, ever help it. And I told somebody that asked, um, if we put everything back the way it was, it still wouldn't be right because there's so much that's been lost. People are, are dead. Babies drowned in a river of sewage and diesel. And it's, I mean, it'll never be the same. The the guy the guy we saw yesterday whose belongings had been pulled out of his house and he had lit it on fire. Yeah. Like yeah. burnt, because like, what is, what can you do? Yes. Yeah, it's burning it, all you the can't, debris. You can't save it. And there's not been an established dump site for Letcher County, mm. so or that I know of, there there very well could be right now. But um, as of right now, at you know two o'clock, I've not mm. I've not seen anything. Mm. So I mean, people are just burning what they have, and it's like all of their possessions are being dragged out. Homes and trailers are literally erased. I, I remember seeing pictures uh, that of the, that day of somebody's. Camaro being shoved through a culvert and like cars have been pushed through bridges so much they've been compacted and broken to pieces into a billion parts so what actually happened it was just an incredible downpour and it was a flash flood <laughs> that's a, I'm still trying to understand that's kind this. of an oversimplica- oversimplification but that's pretty pretty much it I mean we had like a foot of rain in an hour and by the time that the flash flood alerts had gone out it was too late and it was in the middle of the night yeah, the middle of the night. So I feel like I've seen some pictures, and so is that like the break of day? Was that like early morning? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, as soon as the, as soon as there was light, it was chaos. You said people were. You, I think that your buddy that we ate dinner with last night, he works with the local doctor. Yeah. He said the doctor was like on his jet ski going around saving people. Yeah, yeah. I think That's he been going on. He, yeah. Yeah, I know that that he brought a oxygen tank out and stuff. Yeah. And uh, people were doing what they could, what they had to do. I mean, the water was so high in Whitesburg, in town, that uh, a lot of people were trapped. The guard has been going around rescuing people still that are just in these very remote hollers and communities and stuff. So, hmm. man, so intense. Yeah, for real. And I'm sure you guys are just absolutely exhausted after a week and a half. I'm beat, man. But and there's so, still work to do. Yeah. 
you lost three of your cars. Yeah, I did. But I mean, that's it feels real small compared to babies. Mm-hmm. It feels real small compared to homes, and it feels real small compared to people's lives. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'll I'll take I'll take our losses and acknowledge them for what they are. They suck, but we'll be all right. We'll you know we'll rebuild. I've been gracious enough to have friends to help us get a new chicken coop and stuff, and uh, you know very very soon we'll we'll bounce back. But we as a community, you're gonna need help, and that's something that I, it's been hard to try to communicate to other people because there's not a lack of communication. And it's like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Mm. And I've seen that time and time again at every place that I've worked and tried to work with since the day of the flood. Mm. Yeah, so I was hoping maybe with the podcast to be able to kind of, if anyone's listening and they're inspired to help in some way, shape, or form, to like kind of say how they could help. But it seems like it's kind of hard to even really know. <laughs> yeah, because, I, I mean, I can say right now that, that the high school, which is the central location for Electric County, is that uh, is, the Jenkins High School? The LCC. Okay. Uh, Electric County Central High School is where a lot of the help is right now. Uh, CORE is their community. Uh, I want to butcher butcher their organization's name, but I've seen them there. Hmm. Uh, they are the ones, and they're running the show right now, and they're doing a really good job of it. Um, but they're not taking donations because there's pallets and pallets of water out. But what happens in three weeks when this is old news? What happens when they can't get this water out? Or people who who are afraid to ask for help won't won't get it. Um, I know a lot of people are, or some might see it as pride, but it's just there's a overwhelming sense of, well, I'm okay. I only lost my home. This person lost everything. Or mm-hmm. I I didn't lose my life. I can take. I don't want to take from somebody else. Mm-hmm. I know I've certainly felt that, and I mean I'm still without water, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll be okay. They're working on getting that back, and uh, I believe they will. So, and let me think here. So we were saying you were. I'm brain fog. I'm so tired. Yeah, we're beat, man. You you busted your hunt in yesterday. <laughs> well, say say what we tried to do yesterday. So so yesterday we had. Uh, Went to the Neon Public Library, which is a brand new library. They had just put in brand new computers three days or four days before the flood, and it was devastated. The water in there was almost it was it was chest high. Yeah, the was, water line was definitely like at our neck. Or yeah, chest yeah. High. My, my friend who's who's from Louisville, who's here to help us, is five one, and it was like even with her eyeballs. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because we, we could see the we could see the water line on the walls mm-hmm. and stuff. And when, as you walked around, you could see the stuff that had just been sucked out and pushed in. Mm-hmm. And that mud is half sewage. Mm-hmm. And so all those books are ruined. And the mold in there is so thick that I really hope we don't get sick right now. <laughs> yeah. I hope so too. It was yeah. a little crazy breathing that in, stuffy. Yeah. And the, and I, the books in front of us were all covered in mold. We were trying to get the ones on the top two the top rows. Two rows, yeah, because that was the stuff that was out of the water line. But the, it was so humid in there. I saw a thermometer that had the humidity reading on it, and it was showing at, at like eighty eight percent. I actually, someone just messaged me on Instagram because I posted a video of us cleaning yesterday. Yeah. They're a librarian, and um, they sent a link. Um, regarding the books we got out of there, yeah. that there's still the chance that they're gonna that they they won't be salvageable. So she sent a link. Oh man, and, I hate that. Well, she gave us a link um, 
to con- it's four libraries in disaster. So yeah. maybe I can hook it up with your wife. Yeah, mom. absolutely. Yeah, my, my mother-in-law is one of the librarians for the county and stuff. And all the librarians here are, are not, you know, young men in their prime. They're mm-hmm. mostly older. A lot of them, I believe, my mother-in-law is the most able-bodied one of the bunch. Mm-hmm. The rest of them are or elderly women who have to pick everything up. Hmm. So, and, and the library is one of the last things people were thinking about. And, but they're so integral to these small rural communities, and especially in Appalachia, somebody might do their work, their homework. They might go and relax. They might need to do research for, for anything. And it's the Wi-Fi. It's the, the center wi-fi, for Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. Your local history. Yes, computers, uh, reliable internet. That's something I want to stress more than, than just having internet, is having a reliable internet. So, I mean, in, in a town like Neon, which was already on its last leg because of the coal, uh, the coal industry leaving and stuff, this was the final nail in the coffin, and there's a lot of rumors that it's just going to be bulldozed the whole town yeah wow because there's so much condemned buildings that they what can you do you can't save them Mm. and there's homes and businesses gone the pool hall we used to kill time with uh in high school and college it's ruined churches destroyed um everything and there's a lot of medical equipment damaged in the town of whitesburg at the clinic there Mm. i mean there was like they said it was like a foot of mud inside so millions of dollars of like medical equipment gone. You can't exactly go replace that. Mm. Not not as easily as you can, you know, get somebody to bring you a shovel. So that's that's where they're at. And I, I really hate to see it because, I mean, Whitesburg was trying to recover as much as it could from from the coal industry dying and uh, uh, and the effects of that, that this has put us on the back pedal. Mm. And Whitesburg has received a lot of attention, but there's other towns in Letcher County that haven't received near as much. I mean, equally, equally or great more, more destruction that uh, they've faced. They've they've just not received the same same like resources. So this whole area would have been a, a coal industry area. Oh, absolutely, all okay. of Eastern Kentucky. Okay. So from from Jackson to Jenkins was the the swath that the pat, that the storm took when it took everything out, and all these communities, anything that was within, I mean, a hundred miles of, of this area is all dependent on coal, mm. and has been for hundred years. You don't really see it visually. It's is is it long done? No, it, it's there's. You don't really see it. No, they're they're trying to rebound, and there's still there's still coal miners who, hmm. i mean there's many many coal miners here hmm. it's just the industry as a whole that was what you did in eastern kentucky um you either farmed or mined i mean i come from a family that's been here for a very long time we're one of the original people in this area to, to settle it and um so i don't exactly come from a family of miners but i know a lot of miners in my family so i mean it's it's a part of who we are it's in, integral to coal country, that, and it's what's been so hard with in the past few years uh, and why politics are so tied up into this. And the worst part isn't the destruction. It's the vitriol and anger that I've seen from complete strangers simply because they want to think that we're a monolith, and we're not. Can you say more about that? Because you said that to me yesterday. You said kind of what people... 
uh, you know, I'm an outsider, but you're saying True. other out, like what people from nowhere so, around here are so saying people, about people assume this that this is, this is all, um, a bunch of anti-science, <laughs> uh, hateful Republicans or whatever. And they've turned this into such a political matter when it's not, it's not like the flood check to see who, who was and who wasn't. There wasn't a little sticker above my door when it, you know, got hit. And, uh, people seem to think that they deserved it. Those babies didn't deserve it. There's a family of six in Knott County that lost all, or uh, yeah, they lost all four of their kids clinging onto a tree. Yeah, my hair. Out. My hair is just stood. I I um I saw that picture this morning. <clears throat> yeah, they lost. They lost all four. And you were saying that people were, you not. They were saying that it was, that you deserved it. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, politics aside, I can't control that. Nobody here can. I mean, I know that can be argued and stuff, but I, can't, I, can, I mean, it's stunning I mean, to me that somebody would say something so it's like such a wicked thing to say. Yeah. I hope the hate in their heart chokes them. I really do. And I, I, I hate that. But, I mean, you you deal with that as it comes. But we're strong people, and we got tough skin. We're, we're okay. But that it just it bothers me. It really keeps me up at night. What exactly? Uh, just how people can be so hateful to somebody that they don't know and think that we're anything but climate refugees. I mean, I, I can't control that. There's no way I could have voted that would have changed the flood. I know people are blaming the coal companies. They're pointing fingers. They're saying it's this, that, or the other. It doesn't matter now. Yeah, that doesn't have anything to do with, like, the local people. No. Like, no, nothing. Not at all. Like, <laughs> And it's like, I'll never understand how people can be so hateful to, to us. Like, we're a monolith. We're not. I mean... It's it goes without saying. It wouldn't have mattered if this was a card carrying convention or something. It wouldn't have deserved that. Nobody deserved to, to to drown in a river of sewage and gas and diesel and skid steers floating down at mock Jesus as they fly past you. It's it's hard and hard, man. And uh, but I've seen so much good come out of this despite all that. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's volunteers, people who have never lived here, who've never even visited here, who've just said, I heard you all needed help. I'm loaded up my truck, my RV, whatever. A guy from Missouri donated his RV to someone who who lost everything. He signed a title over at the courthouse, and they're giving it to someone who needs it. And there was, um, you know, people, someone came from Tennessee just to do barbecue for people. Yeah, yeah. There was a guy from, uh, there was another guy from uh, uh, Northern Kentucky who, or the Cincinnati area, greater Cincinnati area, who was, uh, he, he came down and smoked 250 pounds of pork all night long. And he was beat by three o'clock by the time that I got him. We went out and had got our hepatitis and tetanus shots and stuff. And he was out there looking like he was about to fall over. Mm. And I was like, God bless you, man. I was like, you didn't have to do this. But he said he wanted to feed volunteers and people who were here to help and people who needed it. Um, yeah, when we were leaving Neon yesterday, I always find it pretty moving to see, um, you know, there was like a group of people all huddled, huddled in prayer. Yeah. And, you know, after having clearly they volunteered seen, all I day. I've seen church groups. I have seen strangers. Um I have seen people come together in new ways, and somebody said, it wasn't me, but there was somebody else that said that I have seen God more in the last week than I have in the last three decades. Just 
in the face of people who have given freely of their own, people who have lost, people who have given literal the sho- literally the shoes off of their feet to someone who's been walking for miles in wet clothes. Do you feel that to be true? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. It's, uh, it's should we uh, wait a second? Yeah, we, we should wait. Okay. Um, so we took a little break there because yeah. we've got a lot of chaos. People arriving, babies, dogs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got friends coming in from out of town and out of state even uh, to come help us around our property and help us volunteer, bring in donations and stuff like that. It's been sheer chaos. I love it. But uh, we got mean dogs, friendly dogs, and dogs in between. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> okay. I, where I felt like we were starting to get to that I thought would be really interesting, I, we're going to, you know, we've talked for like half an hour about the whole flood situation. And we yeah. got more stuff to talk about. I think it's also interesting, a less current events. But um, what I think is fascinating is kind of some of the stuff you're starting to talk about, um, about your Christianity and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, I think how we could tie this in with the last words about the flood is the sign on that church before the flood. Oh, man, that was heavy. Uh, so there is a small church in Payne Gap, which is a little area outside of Jenkins, Kentucky, uh, which is in Letcher County. Um, uh, and it said it takes a s- storm to prove the real refuge. And they had, they had that sign out like two days before the flood. Incredible, and it is—it's heavy, and they've not changed it. And I hope they don't. Yeah. What do you think? What do you make of that? What do you think that means? So, uh, I mean, uh, so again, this is my faith, and this is my perspective, and people are going to have differing perspectives and beliefs and stuff, and I, and I respect that. Um, with myself, I, the way I see this, God has shown us how little it takes to ruin everything, and how dependent we are on Him. So I'm in all of my faith holding on that people can still be good and still come together even in a terrible a terrible horrible thing and that his sovereignty in that is where where our hope lies and it, it it's given me hope and it's given others hope and I hope it gives other people that are that are struggling hope but I know not everybody feels that way so yeah. I so I was sleeping in a hotel last night. So yeah. I hung out with you yesterday. I went to the hotel. I, I came back this morning. While I was driving over this morning, I had this intense feeling that I feel like was building off of some of the stuff we were talking about yesterday. But the feeling that that both I had this idea and feeling this morning that both like when something intense happens, like a disaster. You were kind of talking about this yesterday. Yeah, that it evokes. God and the devil, yeah, like it, yeah. it brings out like these intense energies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard people people say that this is th- this whole incident and like tragedy has just sunk the ground with negative negativity, negative energy, and stuff. And uh, they've said that you know this is in the this we're in the middle of the dog days right now, and. To some of these these older folks that follow air folkways and stuff around here, that's time of bad luck. It came in wet, so it's going to stay wet. If it comes in dry, it's going to stay dry. Can you explain a little bit more? So dog days is like the height of summer. It's the height of summer. It's the dogs are the laziest. They're more likely to go crazy. Your real crops dogs. Will, yeah, real dogs. I believe it's something. It has to do something with the, the ser- stars. The star serious. And uh, uh, it has something to do with that. And there are people who are going to know way more about this than I do. And I encourage you guys to to reach out and correct me because I think it's interesting. Um, 
I had noticed it before that it was coming. Uh, somebody made a post about it, and I was like, "Oh, well, that's just you know old superstition and stuff." But there's some there's some truth to it because it's the hottest time of the year. Animals are more likely to to be more lazy and relax and rest in the shade. But also, that it's a time of bad luck, intense bad luck. So it ends August tenth. So here's fingers crossed. You know, only a few more days. Yeah, a few more days. Did you grow up with that kind of in like the background, like culturally? Yeah, I did. I, that- I did. It wasn't central to my childhood or to who, who I was growing up. But I've I've definitely tried to look into more of of my own. You know, the the traditions in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's uh, there's so many different folk ways that we have that we don't even realize we follow. You know. Black cats are bad luck, you know, don't walk under a ladder, stuff like that. Those are folk ways. That started, most superstitions started that way, good or bad. Um, and there, there's tons of them here. Well, well, okay. So, you know, when yesterday when we were talking about God and Christianity in yeah. the car, you started getting into some of the, uh, the faith healing and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, so didn't you say your grandma was into that? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, almost everybody, you know, it's not something you talk about. And it's still not something that you people are, are happy to talk about because it's it's something special. Mm. It's you, you're not, so it's not like witchcraft. It absolutely isn't witchcraft. Some people might call it, call it that. They'll call it folk magic or granny magic. Mm-hmm. That's more a more friendlier term. I've heard it. The, uh, but what's interesting about the faith healing is it's wrapped in Christianity. Oh, absolutely. Like there's, uh, uh, if you repeat Psalm 23, you can stop bleeding and I've seen it work. You said you cut yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, you I've cut myself it? and I've used it in an act of, as an act of faith. I mean, it's. How, what do you know the Psalm off the top of your head? Uh, it's the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Though, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. That whole, that whole verse I've. And do you, and you repeat I, I, I that? paraphrased it, but yeah. And you keep repeating it until, over the bleeding until wound? Until bleeding, bleeding will stop. Wow. And I've seen I've seen people use different scriptures to do different things. I've heard of people, you, there's one of the big folk ways is to make it rain, hmm. which it's not our problem right now, is to repeat a passage that I can't remember right now uh, while you, you crush corn in your garden, dried corn over a stone in your garden. You do it three times and repeat that passage three times. There's folk magic with. The so set. we will not say that scripture out loud because we do not. Yeah, want we, to we, we don't. We don't want to right now. We won't invoke any rain. We're good right now. We we were hoping for dry weather. Right now it's pretty, but we're expecting more rain. And it's so hard though. I mean, because we were any any patch of sunlight we get right now, it's you're trying to do as much as you can do outside before mm. the rain hits, and mm. we've been so devastated. Mm. So I, I don't know if people are are, are really. Um, um, wanting more rain right now, but I, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, there's there's tons of other ones like other superstitions revolving uh, haints and boogers and. Wait, uh, wait! Before we get into that, didn't you say your grandma was um, did some of the faith healing? Oh, stuff? I mean, I've I've almost every granny has. Mm. I mean, not. I mean, to what extent you're you want to talk about? It's, I'm not sure because because I mean, it's usually just. A, it's usually just you want you say this prayer mm. and it'll make this better stuff like that. I think that it's very I feel like that makes sense that it would, I, that would I've, work. I've talked to people about what granny magic means, mm-hmm. and it's like people have tried to describe it as a form of like akin to Santeria. While we're not Catholic, I mean there are Catholics here in the mountains, but while we're not Catholic, um, it's very akin to that because we don't see it as something other than Christianity. 
It's something that you just do as an act of faith. It's not you producing something or healing someone. It's God acting through you. Mm. And that's my personal opinion on it. Mm. Uh, I have people from outside of this area are going to call it this, that, or the other. I, we don't care. Well, <laughs> this I stuff love is, this stuff. This stuff is older than older than this country, way older than this country. Oh, yeah. I mean, our, our ancestors were Scots-Irish, German-English immigrants in the 1600s on in. So I know my family was. So, I mean, these are, that's another thing tied to our accent and stuff. Our dialect, you know, it's the oldest dialect in the English language that has been unchanged. It's changing now because of internet and media and stuff. Which to me is sad because I so intensely love differences about people because that's what makes things interesting. And I actually wish I had an accent. So when I meet people with strong accents, I think they're so cool. Whether, you know, wherever in the world it is, it's just so so, beautiful to hear. So this is something, something important people in Appalachia. You can tell who isn't, who is and who isn't from here based on how they say it. Appalachia. Yeah. Yeah. Appalachia. If people outside of here might call it Appalachia yes. or Appala- Appalachia, mm-hmm. we can tell it within seconds where they're from. Mm. I know people in northern Appalachia might not call it that, and they've they've their own way that they speak, but they're not from the heartland of Appalachia. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean any disrespect, people from or brothers and sisters in you know Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. New York, and stuff who who are in the Alleghenies. Mm-hmm. I've been up there; it's beautiful up there, but they're not the same people from here. And and I think it's important that we acknowledge that difference. Mm. And as Appalachians, we uh, we respect that. Mm. The, uh, there's a Yankee-fied way to, to say it, and then there's how we say it. And mm. it's something I've heard people mention in, in even in Northern Ireland around Belfast, where uh, you can tell who is and who isn't from the area because the way it's based on the way if they say dairy or London dairy. Mm. And uh, I think that's a, a, a nice parallel because we come from Northern Ireland. Mm. Most of the people here, that's who the Scots-Irish were. They were Scottish. Uh, well, they were Irish that they, went to... They were what? Scottish. Oh, yeah, yeah. Scottish yeah, they, they who, were, went Ireland, who went to Ireland. And who, then they came here. Yeah, and they came here. That's right. And uh, I guess I'm closer to a Presbyterian. I'm <laughs> definitely not after this conversation on folk magic and stuff, but um, a lot of the Presbyterians that came here were, were originally from that area and mm. stuff. So th- those churches have remained untouched. Mm based on time and that's where the Baptists were uh, I believe they broke off around that same time too okay I'm going to ask a question that might be inappropriate um, all of it and let's see uh, obviously this is only your opinion not sure. on behalf of everyone yeah. here but in your opinion do you think bad things happen for like is it for a purpose? Is there yes, meaning absolutely. in it? Absolutely. Is God, 100%. whatever God is, is it trying to teach us something? A hundred percent. Absolutely. That is the core foundation of, of, of my, my personal belief, and I know a lot of others, is God can use terrible things for a good purpose. And I'm not trying to preach or anything right now, uh, but that is, is central to hope. And hope is what we need right now. And so I, there's a, a togetherness we see right now with a terrible, awful thing with people dead and homes and lives ruined. And people homeless. And people, a lot of homeless. So many. There, the energy when we were down in Neon was very beautiful yeah. yesterday. 
just like really like everyone's pitching in. You've, I, you know, if you, I'm sure you've, everybody's heard that when there's a disaster, yeah. every, all the neighbors become neighborly. I will say this. Part. I wasn't expecting that here because of this is Eastern Kentucky and we're on the, we're not the last place people are thinking about, but we're one of the last. I mean, we have been forgotten for so long. That's one of the reasons why people are reactionary here. It's one of the reasons why people act and vote the way they do is because they feel left out and forgotten. And I, I think understanding that is important to know who we are here. But it doesn't matter. Again, I know I said this earlier, but it doesn't matter who you are. None of us deserve this. I know some awful people that, that live here who are terrible people and or would you know, stab you in the eye for a dollar. But they're not, they didn't deserve to drown in a river of sewage and diesel. Hmm. And it, it breaks your heart. I've helped people who normally that I, I've never spoken to. I mean, our, our neighbors are, have some shady people around them and stuff. And uh, nothing against them personally. It's just there's a bad crowd that comes in around them. But I give them a shirt off my back tomorrow. And uh, I think it's important. Important. Do you mean like the mind. guy we saw yesterday? Yeah, yeah. He uh, he's mostly harmless, um, but he's uh, unfortunately. Uh, that was a very striking image to me because it was so. He was picking up his clothing out of the creek. It was like universal image. It was you know if the old like Huckleberry Finn type character <laughs> with the long pole with the sack yeah, on the pole. He, he was using the butter turner, or was it, it was something he used to mash corn. Yeah, it was like the pestle, yeah. the giant pestle for mashing corn. He had that over his shoulder. With a garbage bag. With a garbage bag attached to it. Attached he was to picking it. up his clothing that was up in the trees. And I, I know nobody can see see outside right now, but uh, there's a, a little patch of woods before the river reaches it and stuff. And it's just a, not nothing. I mean, it's maybe 10 yards of just trees and brush. And all of it was, you know, 20, 15 feet high and stuff that I was worried about. You're trying to get a bush hog down to. Now it's laid flat. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's you know, clothing and pieces of trailers wrapped around trees like they're ribbons. Yeah. There's cars and stuff. Not in front of my house, but other places. Trash. There's one hanging on in front of, over a, a power line in the county. I, I saw it the other day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they got it down. I hope mm-hmm. they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the devastation here is unreal. Um, but again, tying into what we said earlier, like hope through the devastation is the theme and it is a, a united Eastern Kentucky and a united Kentucky and a united Appalachia mm. coming together to help each other. And there's people for, not from Appalachia here. I want to give a shout out to the young woman whose name I've already forgotten, who drove up from Florida to help me park cars because her friend was from this area. It's beautiful. And she was out there in the rain, pouring rain, busting her hind end, trying to get us help. Mm. And I respect that so much. And there mm. are people just like that everywhere. There's people who have poured money out of their own pocket uh, to donate food, supplies, money, whatever, to, um, to people that need it. And that togetherness has given us hope for a future. They're talking over a billion dollars of damage. Easy. Mm. And it's it's hard to say we need help because we're we are a proud people and it, you can chalk it up to pride or stubbornness or what whatever but people need help but don't want to ask for it and it's because it's not because they don't think you're they're better than you or whatever it's because they think other people need it more yeah, that's how I feel that's saying. how I feel mm. I mean I don't want help but I need help 
Mm. I mean, I, I'm thankful you came down here to help me clean up a road a little bit. Mm. <laughs> I've got to get these cars towed, and uh, we I've got so much to clean up, and I'm so overwhelmed. But I've got tons of friends coming in and family that have offered their time and money and resources to help us. And I'm thankful. Mm. I think that's another thing here is everybody is thankful. They're thankful to be alive if they are all alive. Well, you know what's beautiful? Back to what we're starting to talk about, about God's involvement in these type of things. Mm-hmm. Like when I called you up for the first time, like we, we don't even know each other. Yeah. But now we do. Yeah. Um, on the phone, you're like, you've just had this experience. And you're like, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. You know, you have had some things yeah. happen to you. But even, you know, I wonder how much is is that is like hey be here's a reminder of the things to be like i'm saying yeah, god yeah, yeah whatever absolutely. that means saying here be be the gratefulness is incredible yeah yeah and I, I, I and i am grateful and i know my wife is and i know my friends are and um i know the people who have lost everything have every right to be upset and but it's it's our responsibility to help them mm. It's our responsibility to get them on their feet, and it's our responsibility to make sure that they're okay, even though they're not right now. Mm-hmm. And I've got them in my thoughts, in my prayers, in my heart, earnestly, and I mean it. Mm-hmm. I mean, thoughts and prayers gets tossed around so much, but and, and it's useless without action, and it's useless without honest, heartfelt um, uh, your forethought, I guess. Yeah, just hearing you talk about the Psalms for making the blood stop. And then, you know, I'm always interested in like, in kind of occult stuff. And, you know, with that, people are doing incantations to have an effect in the material world. I'll I'll tell you. It's like, I do think prayer is like, that's real. Yeah. You know, even in modern day, you hear people talking about meditation, um, you know, looking in the mirror and saying a phrase over and over again, and it'll help you. Like, I do think if you're really from the soul level praying, it has an effect. I will say that I did not break down until I found out about the babies in Knott County who lost their lives. The four of them. I think the oldest was eight. All I could pray when I was watching the flood water around was just mercy. That's all I could say. And that is the most, that is all I, all I could say, is I just asked God for mercy. And he showed it to us. And that's where I'll leave that. Um, because I, I've had, I, I've, I've had a lot of alone time with, with that. And I've made peace with that. And I'm, I'm thankful that I'm okay. And that my wife is okay. And my dogs are alive. A lot of people can't say the same. So, uh, with that said and stuff, faith it goes a long way, and so does hope. And they're all tied together, man. They really are. Um, and that is something that I want to 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 push to people who might not be here right now, who can't be, who are just far away, is that people are hopeful. For the first time in years, decades, I have seen hope through devastation. Hmm. Yes, and I'm thinking now that faith create maybe faith creates a healthy optimism with which to yes. move forward in life what well, there's there is a sense of optimism and realism and mm. people may find themselves across that in in different ways or another um but 
I think if you're not optimistic right now, you're doing yourself and everyone around you a disservice. Hmm. And uh, I've told somebody that. I said, you're being negative right now, and we don't need that. Because they just said, you know, I mean, look at all this damage. Look at everything being destroyed. Like, how can you see a bright side? Like, I don't see a bright side. But I, I, I know that we're going to pull ourselves off out of the mud, and we're going to get ourselves back to where we were. At least we're going to try. So, right now, my friend is playing Johnny Cash in the background to try to make her baby quit crying, and it's working, I think. That's no problem at all. It's background effects. Yeah. You, um, and you, when you were kind of describing this area and growing up here, having yeah. your family be here for so long, you talked about how, which I've heard in other places in rural America, is that a lot of young people leave. Oh, and yeah. And you were telling me, and I asked why that you feel it's very important to at least stay within the general region. Well, because brain drain is a problem in, in third world countries, and which I mean, I've heard people say Appalachia is a third world country and a first world country, and I believe that. Who, people, you like people, people here say, say that. that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because we know it, and there, but there's there's only people say, "Well, leave." Why? One, I can't leave because X, Y, or Z. Um. But two, why would I want to leave? Well, this is my home. These mountains protect us. They are they are in themselves um, a guiding force for us. They they are our home, and it's our it's our birthright to to make them better. And that's something that people lose lose heart in. They'll go to college out out of state, out of town, wherever. I know I did, but I actually I went to a college here in Eastern Kentucky, in Alice Lloyd, and. My whole philosophy on that is that when people leave, they don't come back because there's no job prospects here. But the people who stay want to make it better. They really care. And the people who do care, you know, they give a damn. And that's something that we need more of. So leaving it does my home a disservice. Hmm. When I can, you know, do something to improve it, when we can we can get funding for the right things, we can improve education, when we can, you know, um, dispel misinformation and stuff, that's that's what we need. Hmm. And it, it's it's hard to explain that to somebody who's like, well, why can't you just move? Do you know how hard it is to move when mm-hmm. you're on food stamps? I've been on food stamps. Hmm. I've had nothing. And it's only been three years of help and education that I've been able to rise out of that. Mm. And, and there is no no shame in receiving that type of assistance to people. Um, you know, going from, from way down here where the baseline of poverty is and trying to crawl out of that is near impossible. And it feels like, uh, it feels like a, a never-ending mountain. I don't know if you're familiar with Greek uh, mythology, but the legend of Sisyphus. Let's hear it. You know, he, he was cursed by his gods to roll a boulder uphill for yes. eternity and it would roll back down on him. That's what poverty is. Hmm. That's what opioid addiction is. And to a point, that's where Appalachia is. Because, I mean, it feels like it's never ending. But uh, a philosopher whose name I can't remember right now, he said, one must imagine that Sisyphus finds joy. And through his his struggle of picking himself up every day hmm. and rolling his boulder up the, that hill, hmm. so that's where we're at. 
Wow, that's powerful, man. Yeah, and I, I have to say that I, hillbillies quoting uh, Greek mythology has got to be interesting for you, I'm sure. Oh, I love it. I have to say something that I've been feeling reg- since becoming your friend and yeah. becoming your acquaintance is that um, you know you said you're 26 or 27. I'm turning 26 Friday. So I have this intense observational feeling that um, a lot of men in the country and in Appalachia are so mature, so young. And, you know, when I compare it to myself and I compare it to my friends in, you know, this, I grew up in the suburbs, nice suburbs. And then I went and lived in New York city where you're kind of like playing into your like forties, like going, you know, it's just, it's like very vicey and shit. And I feel like the men like you that I'm like stunned by, how young you are, but there's a deep, almost like a melancholic wisdom. And I wonder where that comes from. Is it from this hard, a hard life? Somebody asked from why Kentucky to- makes so much good country music, like Tyler Childers and Chris Stapleton and uh, Sunny Best and, and artists like that. It's the pain. <laughs> it's the pain. And it's the, there's a desperation that's just in the air that it forces you to accept work at a much younger age. It forces you to accept that life is going to be hard because life has probably already been hard to you. And you're I, not I a kid forever. Well, personally, I didn't get to be much of a kid. That, that was due to personal experiences and stuff that I, I had no control over. That's what my feeling was. And, I mean, that's why I'm a, I'm a goofball right now. So I get to be a kid again. <laughs> mm. uh, well, I mean, everybody says, uh, my friends from out of out of this area have mentioned you. Oh, you got married so young. Well, I mean, we waited. <laughs> I mean, I, I know people who got married as early as 16 and they're happily married at 30. It just, I mean, you, most of my friends have kids and we're not even, you know, most of them are turning 26 or are, or have just turned 26. Mm. And most of them have kids. Mm. Some of them have three kids, two kids. Mm. Uh, and so, I mean, like, there, there is a, a saying that Appalachia is, like, 50 years behind the rest of the country. And there's some truth to it. Hmm. And, and depending on which hall you're in, it's more like 150. But, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's only half a joke. I've met people who've, I mean, there's seriously people here who can't read. It's not very common and it is a stereotype that, that will get people fighting mad. But there are some older people way out in there who can't read and um, have just never needed to. They've worked in the mines their whole life, or they've um, they've just been able to just not not need to, or they have a very limited understanding of of, of literacy. Uh, but literacy in Appalachia is still higher than all of California and all all of New York. Really? That with that said, yes, that is wow. a, that is a real fact. I can't, I don't want to pull out statistics because yeah, uh, st- statistics will make me a damn liar. <laughs> but um, I've I have. I'm sure I could find that pretty easily. Yeah. Well, I heard there's someone I follow on Instagram who says um, that when the news and stuff come down here, they mm-hmm. literally will make an effort to like find the poorest people. It's poverty porn. I think I told you that yesterday. You said that phrase yesterday. I thought yes, that was because people want to see us. We're not funny. I'm sorry. I found it uh, <laughs> uh, fascinating. Uh, well, I mean, it, it is, and it, it it makes you mad because they want they will shove a camera in the face of somebody who. You know, may or may not have an education. They'll shove a camera in a trailer. Oh, sorry. 
they'll shove a, a, a camera at a trailer park and they'll find the first person willing to talk and they will blow it up and make us look like a bunch of uneducated, illiterate hillbillies. Mm-hmm. And I know they were about to chase uh, a cartoonist out of the Lexington Herald because people have taken his political cartoon about us being poor folk. Uh, well, I don't know if they've taken it out of context because I'm not 100 percent sure how he meant how he meant that to come across. Mm-hmm. If not uh, disparaging us or mm-hmm. making us all all look desperate, mm-hmm. which the desperation is is very palpable. Here. It is real. Yeah, it's palpable, but it's not because. We don't have nothing. It's because everything we have has been taken. Mm. I mean, it's like the creek just rose up and took us. Mm. It swallowed everything. And it's hard to look at that type of destruction and devastation in a coal town that was already devastated by years of neglect, corruption, and mismanagement and say, yeah, these people deserved it. Mm. I can't believe people would say that. I've heard it. I, I mean, I, nobody said that to my face. Yeah. Fortunately, I, yeah. I believe I'd be a little upset. Yeah, but um, uh, that's that's it, man. It's it's just I don't know what else can be said about it. It's well, let's talk a little bit more about the folkway stuff. Oh God, yeah. And you started to get into paranormal. I mean, oh, I don't know so, if you okay. know that I'm a sucker for that. Uh, yeah, I, like I got that. I feeling. always say I don't necessarily believe in all this stuff, but I love hearing about. Oh yeah, it. and so, I love hearing other people's experiences. So I mean, I, okay. So the thing about Haints. Okay. Is, okay. So you're the first person, obviously, being interested in folklore. I'm aware of Haints. I'm aware yes. of that word. It's wonderful. But um, I haven't got to really explore that on the podcast or anything. So, what exactly is a haint? Is it not quite? It's not quite okay, a ghost. Okay, so a ghost can be a haint, but a haint ain't a ghost. And it's somewhere between. It's like a catch-all term if you want to think of it like that. And I don't know how to explain it to someone who's not who hasn't grown up hearing about it, at least jokingly from their grandparents. So watch out, then boogers are going to get you. A booger is a creature or a cryptid or. God knows what I've heard stories, god awful stories of things here. And people, there is that now this new stereotype: the Appalachia is covered up in feral people and cryptids and skinwalkers and <laughs> awful creatures in the night. But uh, I can tell you, walking back from a tree stand late at night, I've felt eyes on me in the woods, and I felt watched. I mean, I in I've got theories about Pine Mountain being a hellmouth. Because I've heard of awful demonic experiences there. People have had possessions, houses mysteriously burning down three times in a row, stuff like that. The Sometimes it doesn't need to come from nowhere. Sometimes it just ekes out the ground. Like Some, what? Like what? Uh, like, it's hard to point it because it, the, like, in Whitesburg, where I used to live, in the town that was just recently soaked in devastation, quite literally, the house we used to live in had some paranormal. We had some paranormal experiences there. We've we've seen shadows. My dog jumped up in the middle of the night to bark at nothing, and I watched all the light bulbs in the house blow out. I felt angry out of nowhere, and it was like it just ekes out of the ground. There was a Civil War battle there, but nobody died on the property where the, my apartment was. Um, the it's just like it. I don't know, man. It's there's something more to it than it's just than just ghosts. Not everybody believes in ghosts. Not everybody believes in haints. But 
people definitely have ha- have have had experiences here, and people who uh, have experienced stuff like that are a little open to it, at least, you know. And people who haven't are, are are not as dismissive about it as some others are. Tell the tell the ghost story they told me in the oh, car yesterday. Okay, so this wasn't in Appalachia. This was when I lived in uh, outside of Louisville in Oldham County um, years ago. I've I've had ghost experiences my whole life, and that is something that you, if you know me at all, you will know. I will talk to you about all day. someone walking out uh, for Christmas a Christmas show a light show I guess my parents and me um, we we were going to this look at the lights for the town and we were the only people out it was late at night and I saw that uh, there was a guy outside smoking or what I thought he was I thought he was smoking we were all bundled up because it was Christmas time and I just remember it being cold and I was a little I didn't really care um but he was outside in like 30 degrees at most in like a very light button-up shirt and cargo pants. And he looked just as real as you are looking to me. And uh, we talked to him for a second. He said, yeah, you know, this town's got a lot of history and stuff. And, and my dad was a history teacher at the time. And he said, you know, I'm a history teacher, blah, 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 blah. They talked for a second. And we left and we came back and he wasn't there and we just assumed he went inside. We came back for a Halloween ghost tour that following year. I was like 11. Um, and my mom had seen his picture in the mayor's house and said, oh, we met him just this Christmas. And the lady turned sheet white and she said, no. And she said, you must be thinking of somebody else. And my mom was like, no, we talked to him and they went and got me. And they said, do you remember talking to this guy? I said, yeah, I remember seeing him. You know, um, the lady was like, well, he's been dead for 15 years. And you're not the first person to see him. But you've talked to him or whatever. What did he say? And we just told him it wasn't anything. And I think we're part of the ghost tour in that town now. They tell our story. Okay, so what I think is so incredible when I taught, hear ghost stories, especially in the Appalachia area, one thing I love so much about this region is that like folklore and superstition is still alive. Oh, absolutely. Like, so do adults still talk about these things and believe about these things? Like me growing up in the to suburbs. Their friends, to their friends, I'd say. I mean, it's, it's, I can't answer for everybody or for anyone. But did I, you grow up with your parents and your grandparents? Like acknowledging these things, even if just <laughs> in jokingly. In part, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you'll notice uh, the doors of my house are blue. I don't believe that's by coincidence, but that's uh, they're Hank Blue. It's supposed to keep evil creatures of the night at bay. Uh, one of the one of the biggest things you'll see around here, and people may not know why, if you hang a, a broom or a um, effigy of a broom, they're usually small little straw bundles tied together yeah your wife said they sell them at the yeah, stores they, they do uh, a small broom yeah uh they uh you use that because anything that enters your home will be too distracted by counting the individual straws to do anything 
Yeah, that was mentioned by that when I interviewed a, a witch florist yeah. from West Virginia. It's so cool, man. Yeah, uh, stuff like that. It, it's it's here. It's not uh, it's not as taken as literally or seriously. As so it's it, talked about, but kind of in a fun way, like ha ha. Kinda, kinda. I would say no. I can say it will. There are some things that are taken more seriously. Like what? Uh, across a dogwood will protect your home. Oh, talk about that. Oh, so the dogwood tree itself is supposed to have a heal, faith healing properties, I suppose. And I know someone out there who knows way more about this than I do is going to tell me I'm a liar and it's this, this, and this. That's fine. Uh, because this is my understanding of it. But I believe it's because the the legend is that the dogwood tree was what the cross was made of. So it has protective properties. Uh, stuff like that. And you were saying the petals. It's a There's four. A, it's a four-petaled um, flower, and yeah. then it creates a cross with the the darker uh, color inside. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then that's the that's where where that legend, I guess, comes from. So cool, man! As like you hear donkeys, donkeys having the cross on their backs because that's what Jesus rode in on. What did you mean by that? Is there a pattern in their hair? Yeah, if, if you ever looked at the back of a donkey, hmm. uh, they have a cross on their back. Hmm. Okay. I can show you real quick. Hmm. So this is the... Right now, oh. Yeah, so right now I'm showing them the, the back of a donkey. And if you've ever looked at the back of a donkey, they have darker... You What you're showing me is like a bird's eye view. Yeah. There's a cross. There's a, a black line running from its butt to the top of its head, mm-hmm. and then across its shoulders. Yeah. That, wow. That's I don't think that's unique to Appalachia, but I've definitely heard that growing up. Heard that folkway stuff. Yeah. That's so cool. And uh, so there's so much in common that we share with folklore of the South, mm. and uh, so much of African American folklore mm. is tied directly into Appalachian stuff, and it comes from the same source. Mm. Um, I grew up on Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit stories, which were, you know, cautionary tales of, you know, being lazy and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, I grew up on that, you know, and uh, uh, Jack stories, you hear them called too. I don't know that. So Jack tales are uh, what I've always heard them called, but it would be like, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk. It's mm-hmm. a, it comes from that. That's the same Jack I've always mm. heard. But there are... Um, there's many different stories that are tied into that, and there, mm. a lot of them are like somewhat educational or cautionary. Mm. And the same with the Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit. Br'er meaning brother. Oh, brother I didn't fox. know that. Yeah. It's just uh, these stories are told with a, a um, uh, they're a verbal verbal history. I mean, these are these are spoken and remembered and memorized. And I remember my grandparents telling me these stories when I was a little boy. They would read them or just tell them? Tell them. They're, yeah, these weren't written down anywhere. I'm Do sure you remember you any of the stories? No, it's it's been years. I, I know I, if I heard one, I could tell you if I've heard it or not. But Do you remember the gist of any of them? Oh, not particularly. Okay. I was little, little. I mean, mm-hmm. I was a young, young kid. Um, but I'm sure other people have seen them written down, and I'm sure they're very similar to the ones I grew up on. Tell the tell that insane story about your granddad with the cryptid. Oh God! Okay, so this is uh, th- this is a story I've heard that he shot a creature with the body and torso of a man and the tail of a snake that ran towards them, and because 
he un- he shot it three times, and it just kept running past him. Uh, he thought that he killed a man, so he went up to go find the body. And when he went up there to like find the body, the shells were there, and the trail and the leaves and the mud was there, but there was no blood and no body. And so, where, when? Can't say where exactly, but it's the most haunted place on earth I know. And I, I mean that being dead serious with you. And this has been about 30 to 40 years ago. It's somewhere around here in the mountains. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can't say where because I'm afraid of people going there. Well, do, can you just describe it? It's like the- a cemetery in uh, in the mountains uh, where everyone there died. I believe it was a family died of tuberculosis in the turn of the century into the 20s uh it was a family cemetery and i don't know what it is about that cemetery but it is the only place i will not go at night (laughs) i I refuse it's that i mean i've seen some awful heard some awful awful noises there and heard things i've had cameras die i do a little bit of ghost hunting or i used to with, with my family and we used to go up there and i've seen some crazy stuff man this place, I, I'll take you up there sometime later, but we, it'll be on the, the on the down low. <laughs> what kind of stuff? I mean, it's just, it's very paranormally active, as best way I can describe it. But like what? I mean, you'll, you'll hear stuff, you'll see stuff out of the corner of your eyes. It's like, you just have a general feeling of dread as you approach it, and the woods are so quiet. Hmm. And it's like unnaturally quiet. Something I wonder about is when you... There are places where, like, a whole bunch of psychics will go to. Yeah. There's, like, one in Arizona. There's one in upstate New York. In, or, like, you wonder about these places around the world where people go for healing. Mm-hmm. And so, they're, they're, like, one idea this is isn't there's, like, there's, like, portals. <laughs> and so, it's if so, there's, like, portals I've, of healing and, and love and light or whatever, there yeah. must be these, like, I've dark said, portals. Oh, God. I've, okay, so it is another podcast. I don't know. Uh, if I want to butcher this quote or not, but it comes from their first episode zero. Uh, Old Gods of Appalachia, it is fictional, but they said something that rings so true for people who believe in spooky stuff here. Is how dare we carve out the belly of a god and not expect something evil to come out of these mountains. And it is surreal. Wow. So you're, you're saying by... The coal mining? Yeah. Like, how, how can you dig into the mountains and not expect something evil to come out? That's such something, a powerful... These mountains are older than bones. Oh, they're a billion to a billion or... It's some of the oldest mountains on Earth. They are the oldest mountains on Earth, I believe. I, if I'm if not among the oldest... It's like one or two of them. Yeah. And uh, the fossils here were from before creatures had bones. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that, that's a literal, like, when we say they're older than bones, wow. we don't mean it. So, what do you, so you feel as though, um, oh, it's, there has got to be negativity when you, you scar that. Wow. What an interesting idea. And I don't, I don't know how, how true any of that is. I, I, I believe in what I believe. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, some of it might be contrary to how other people feel, but it's, it's something you got to think about when you you've had paranormal experiences and stuff. And when, it, so when, but, but I will I will say this: I have made peace with myself more when I've been alone in the woods hunting and hiking and camping than I have ever ever met 
anywhere else. And I, I am a firm believer that there is healing in these mountains. And that if you're in the right headspace, it knows. Hmm. Yeah, well, you hear people, one of these kind of like new agey type yeah. ideas is forest bathing. I don't know about I've never heard of that. <laughs> it means just going out in the woods. It's like, of course, if you walk around the woods, it's very peaceful. Well, you feel rejuvenated. There's some, there's some truth to it, though. I know that uh, the frequency of bird song sets off like the relax button in your brain because hmm. evolutionarily, birds don't make noises when there's predators or birds are quiet when there's you know predators around but birds are singing it's because they're safe so evolutionarily we've adapted to relaxing when we hear bird song mm. so they've used that to treat people with depression and anxiety oh i love that yeah it's really cool um but it also it gives me chills to think about when i was uh recently on a uh a through hike and uh it was deathly quiet the entire the entire entire 15 some miles mm. like i mean nothing mm. that's it, spooky it, it gets it, really quiet where we live really yeah. really really quiet in those mountains yeah and you hear people like even you know you hear people from appalachia even like rougher type men mm. saying how mysterious it is yeah well you, you have to i mean the mountains themselves are <laughs> they're they're powerful and I mean, it's it's one of the things that people feel connected to here. It's the spooky things or not. Like, I mean, you feel a sense of ease and a sense of being a part of it, a part of something bigger than yourself. Mm. I mean, quite literally. Like, I feel when I'm when I've been hunting, I've listened to every every bird and squirrel chatter, and like, it's like I've melded into part of it. And that's something so important to me as a hunter and me as an outdoorsman and stuff is you being a part of that. Hmm. I've heard, you know, I've, I've heard an idea that, you know, going back, I know it was a bit of a stereotype about the poverty, but I, yeah. you know, when you think about would it be better to be poor in a city or poor in the country, definitely in the country. Oh, absolutely. Because you have, <laughs> you have nature. So, I mean, I've quite literally depended on hunting and gathering to help put food on the table. And it's not even a poverty issue. It's just, have you seen the price of meat? Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't call myself a hardcore homesteader, but I mean, you've, you've seen our garden. You've seen what we've got. We've tried to be a backyard homesteader. Yeah, well, you were saying you were, until the flood, you were heading towards the direction of doing backyard We are, and we're not giving up. We're going to make it right. I know Jess at Roots and Refuge has been a huge inspiration to my wife. And she has that philosophy of fixing things instead of instead of just doing the, taking the cheap way out. Mm. Because uh, I mean, if if you can fix what's broken, then you've made it whole. Uh, I mean, I've depended on. So the problem from the flood was that the sewage contaminated water got on your oh, vegetables. Yeah. That's the problem. That is that is because it was sewage and diesel. Mm. Um, so we've we've been doing research on what we can save and what we can't save. Anything that was submerged is definitely getting getting chucked because mm-hmm. there's no saving that. So air root crops, uh, we had some sweet potatoes and, and some radishes and stuff. They're gone. They, it's it's done. But those aren't what I'm worried about. Um, anything that was just splashed with water has to be thoroughly thoroughly rinsed mm-hmm. before it's you know fit for human consumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anything above the waterline 
it's okay. It should be fine. Uh, I w- you're not supposed to eat anything from the roots of something that was was submerged. Mm. But um, we're still trying to find out more about that. And if if I can get some help figuring that out, I would I'd love that because I we've put so much money and time into this garden mm-hmm. for tomatoes and our, our squash and you know all that. The, the squash definitely has to go because <laughs> it was all all taken. But my, my beans, they're getting ready to flower. I had some melons that were sitting on the ground. They're gone. Mm. My peppers, I was so proud of, are loaded with them right now. We're going to overwinter them, fortunately, and just you know top them and then rinse them and then replant them next year so they grow bigger and stronger. So they and they will and they'll be they'll be safe to eat next year, just not now. Talk about you were telling me a little bit growing up. You said you, you didn't necessarily do much any big game hunting but you said you did a lot of like the frog gigging oh yeah i frog gigged and squirrel hunted my whole life and i mean i i would go deer hunting with uh you know my dad but like we would go i would squirrel hunt (laughs) you know i mean we small game hunting is it's in its own right a rewarding experience and something i enjoy i i i'm not deer hunting right now i'm squirrel hunting or i'm uh if i'm not turkey hunting or or i've well, to back up there, I'm going to start turkey hunting this year. Mm-hmm. I've never been before. Um, there's a huge problem right now with a lack of or with an overabundance of turkey pulp predators like raccoons. Mm-hmm. And because there is not as many people rac- raccoon hunting. Or, for, or fur trapping. Or for, yeah, or trapping. Uh, coon hunters were the biggest predators of, of coons. And uh, they uh, there's just not... Many, many people taking them now, so there's it's impacting the turkey population in Kentucky and Tennessee specifically. Kentucky hasn't changed anything about their um, uh, about their regulations for turkey this year, to my knowledge, as of today. But Tennessee has, so I don't know Tennessee's laws and regulations. I just know that they've that they've done that and stuff, and it's something to keep in mind because we partner with Tennessee a lot in Kentucky. Hey, and what were you saying about the turtle? What, oh, yeah, special yeah. Word yeah. For it? Well, yeah, turtle bugging. Turtle bugging? Bugging. I love that. So you noodle for catfish and you bug for turtles. That's, <laughs> I you, love that. Bug for turtles. Yeah, and you uh, you cuss when you get bit by a muskrat. So <laughs> mm. a muskrat will take a finger. Mm. They're awful little critters. Mm. But uh, so like when you would walk the river, unfortunately the same river that has decided to eat Letcher County and the rest of Kentucky, um, you would stick your hand up in a hole and you'd feel for a catfish or, or whatnot. Or you do it in lakes and other places too, but I mean, we've done it in the river. Um, you stick your hand up in a hole and if you make your hand into a C shape so that if a turtle is facing you, it'll snip the just the knuckle. It won't take a finger. But if you stick your hand in flat like paper, it it can take a tip. I mean, uh, that is absolutely courageous. Sticking your hand into a dark hole that might have a snapping turtle. And snapping turtles are well, no you, the, joke. The, the key to it is keeping your hand near the bottom so that it can't get up under your the fingertip. Mm. But you, the idea is to grab the turtle by the tail, and I've seen this done. You grab the turtle by the tail, and you pull it out, and you throw it in a burlap sack, and you go and you find another turtle, and you do and you repeat the process. Turtle meat, delicious. It's incredible. It's one of the, yeah. I was telling you earlier, it's one of the best wild game meats I've ever had. Yeah. You know, yeah. over the past five years that I got into hunting, trapping, yeah. some fishing, 
turtle meat is high up on the list. Yeah. And uh, same thing. Like when I caught my first, I did it on a line, on a limb line. Yeah. And um, it was a big ass turtle. Yeah. And I did the same thing. I put it in my backpack and I hiked like a mile out of the woods <laughs> with a turtle in my backpack. Well, I, I need to get Kelly, my wife, to tell you the story of when she was a little girl playing in the playground and she looked and saw a huge turtle sunbathing and she just went back and got it and threw it in her dad's bass net and hiked it home and threw it in a, they threw it in a, a garbage bag or uh, not garbage bag, uh, um, a garbage can for a day or two and she fed it earthworms and let it go the next day mm. so uh i mean a lot of times when we catch turtles it's a bycatch when you're sitting a limb line and trying to catch you know catfish and turtle bites it so the turtle's not going to make it so we you try to be as uh, humane as possible, but it's it's still pretty brutal. You it's you, brutal. You have to cut their head off. Yes, and while they're alive, you while have to they're alive, hold their head out and cut their head off. Uh, I've seen people shoot them, and I'm sure that's that's better. But that's uh, just the way we've seen it is done with a, a pair of channel locks and a fillet knife. So that's how I did it. It's rough. It <laughs> it's really rough. rough. Uh, but I mean, it's part of it. A lot of uh, most of my childhood, I grew up frog gigging. Okay, so I've I tried it once, but I actually I'm not even going to oh. say that because it was so uh, such a failed attempt. So I'm taking talk you, about I'm taking you some talk time. about it a bit. Okay, so frogging is uh, essentially requires three things: a, a good body of water, clean body of water, I should say, um, an abundance of frogs, and bullfrogs, bullfrogs. Is that the only species? You, you don't go for the wood frogs, right? No, no, it's just, no, it's just, just bullfrogs because bullfrogs are. I mean, I've seen them as you know. Uh, half the size of a chicken. Wow. (laughs) I mean, I've seen some big bullfrogs, especially in the lakes where people aren't, you know, bothering Mm -hmm. them and stuff. Um, I've seen, uh, uh, well, I guess what what I was saying was... um, Water frogs, and then you need a trident. Yeah, you use a gig, which is a spear with little tines on the end of it. You keep razor sharp. And you pin the frog in the water after shining a, a bright light in its so eyes. it's at night. At night. You have to go at night. I'm sure you could go in the daytime, but it w- you probably couldn't get them to freeze like that. I've seen people shoot them with BB guns and stuff in the daytime. Or you catch them on a, on a, like a fishing line with a piece of red fabric. Hmm. And like a, tr- a treble hook or something. Um, but you, uh, you gig the frog. And you don't kill it necessarily. Hmm. I mean, I'm sure you, uh, you, you can. But the idea is that you grab them with this spear and you throw them in a bucket or you, I've seen people put them on a stringer. That's a little, little too inhumane for my taste. Mm -hmm. I try to not do that. I would, I would put them in a, like a a minor trap or a live well or something and I'd tie it to my belt and you throw a frog in there after gigging it. And then you, uh, you have a mess of them and you take them, you, you stun them by hitting their head. You, you, that kills them or stuns them. Um, you cut their legs off, you skin the legs, and you deep fry them, and they t- literally taste like chicken. I can't wait it to is try the, that. It is the best meat you'll ever eat. I've so how many of those legs is makes a meal? Oh, man. you! It's not unusual to have 40 to 60 frogs in a night between two people. Between two people? Yeah. I mean, it's you could probably get 40 frogs per person, but they're, that's beyond our limit in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. That's you know, it wouldn't be wouldn't be difficult at all, especially to eat twenty, thirty of them. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, because well, I mean, in a meal. Then no, how many in a meal? Oh, in a meal, I'd say ten to fifteen, easy. Okay, it's kind of like a frog, chicken. Wing. Some frogs are smaller, so it's like some, eating chicken yeah, wings. Yeah, it's like chicken wings, about okay. the same size. 
I, it's hard for me to describe this because wild frogs, wild bullfrogs are more uh, smaller than like store-bought frog legs mm. that you might see at an Asian market or Asian grocery store. I've seen them there, and they're like they're huge. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm sure somebody could fix them really well. I've seen them in Vietnamese food and Chinese food and stuff mm-hmm. a lot. Um, yeah, I haven't but, had frog yet. Oh man, you're missing out. It tastes like chicken, and I mean dead serious. Mm-hmm. Like the only two animals I've ate, ate that taste like chicken, honestly, have been rabbit and, and frog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I raised quail. Quail's a very lean, lean bird and stuff. It's delicious. Uh, but they're more more akin to a red meat because you can cook them at any temperature. You can mm. cook them rare if you wanted it because mm. they can't carry salmonella. That's why their eggs are safe to eat raw. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, you see egg uh, quail egg yolk in tartare and stuff. I've I've eaten them. I, I mean, I take quail egg shots. <laughs> oh yes, I, I know what you mean with the tartare. Yeah, I, I mean, know what you mean. You've seen like the mm-hmm. piece of like fresh meat and stuff, mm-hmm. and you use the egg to bind it or whatever. Um, but I mean, I, I'll I'll eat a quail egg raw mm-hmm. and stuff. I'll, I'll put it in a shot glass with some Worcestershire sauce and hot mm-hmm. sauce, salt Yummy. and pepper. It's like a prairie oyster. <laughs> if you like ever, that. it's a hangover cure I heard about. I love that. Yeah. So uh, that's the about as much as I can say about frogs. Okay. Um, well. We could maybe do a little more paranormal because I love it. Oh, God, man. Do you have any There's more ghost stories? A million. Okay, well, think, <laughs> take a second to think. Okay, give me a second. So the first one that comes to mind is actually not my story. It is my wife's story. She used to clean a bank in Whitesburg, and she's had things growl at her at the tops of stairs. And I'll, I'll have to get her in here to tell you this story later, but like... Uh, stuff has growled at her. She's seen handprints on mirrors and windows. Uh, there's been, uh, there was one thing that made her run home once. And I'm going to butcher this story. She's going to kill me when she hears this. She was cleaning a floor that had computers on it. And she said, the mouse came on. And she was like, oh, that's weird. And the screen lit up. She went back to what she was doing. She was getting ready to finish. And then she turned around and one by one, they all lit up and shut off at once. And she ran home. Uh, that's stuff from Whitesburg. I, I've heard ghost stories my whole life. People in their homes and stuff. Uh, I, now, this is the big one. This is the big story I told you I, I was going to tell you today, yesterday, when we were on in the, on the car ride. So, people like have sensationalized what it is a skinwalker or whatever it is. Is I won't say the name because there is a big, a, a huge cultural reason to why you should not say the name that I'm aware of, uh, because it invokes the creature. Uh, and also, but we are not in the Northwoods of, of the land of the Cree in Algonquin. So, I think we're safe down here in southeastern Kentucky, but I don't want to risk it. <laughs> but uh, that being said, yeah, you're not supposed to think about it. That's why I'm, I'm going to try to move past this as fast as possible, is that by thinking about it, you manifest it. 
So that's that's, and I'm sure you're gonna you'll it's gonna click here in a second after after we're off, and I'll tell you about it later. Um, but me and my friend were camping, and uh, it was just a series of weird events that had happened. And then I I like we forgot things that we knew we had. We were in a hurry. We had a sense of dread around us. I just like, oh, man, this isn't a good time to go. Um, we had tried to camp. And then we gave up. We had a friend down at, at the college because we were near nearby Air, Air College. Uh, we had a friend meet us. And we said, hey, man, we're, we're going to leave. Can you come meet us at the bottom of the road? And to preface that, we used to whistle when we were, you know, taking different trails, when we would try to make trails and stuff. We would whistle because it was easier than shouting. And you could hear a whistle better than you can hear somebody holler. So as we're on the mountain and stuff, we we whistled because we heard him whistle to us and it was coming from down the mountain. We knew that it would make sense for him to do that, to see if we were, you know, where we about we were cause we don't have cell phone service there. Um, and then I, I remember as we were walking, like it felt like we were being pushed out. Like I felt like we just needed to go. We need to go right now. And I hear my own voice behind me. I swear to God. I hear my own voice and I hear my own whistle just behind me. And a, a very specific, it's like if someone were to record me whistling and it played it 20 feet behind me and then five foot behind me. And then I got oh, I'm getting chills thinking about it. I had, I heard that and I looked at my friend. And I said, you hear that? He said, yeah, let's just keep going. I just, I couldn't hear it. It was like a hush, like a hushed whisper. I should say it was, I definitely heard the whistle. The whistling was, was definitely more of what I heard. But it was my voice. I heard whistle. And it was like it was, I was being mimicked. And this is something I couldn't make up if I wanted to. I didn't think much of it at the time, believe it or not. But we get down to the bottom. I said, well, did you holler? Did you, you know, did you whistle? Did you holler at us? He said, no. No, we didn't. I was like, oh, that's creepy. And I was telling the same story to my wife, and she's like, oh, my God, that's the goat man. And I was like, goat man, what's that? And apparently the story behind the goat man is that it um, mimics people. It doesn't want to eat you, but it likes to mess with you. And I was like, oh, that's creepy. And I read more on it. And I was like, wow, that is wild. So as... Uh, as, as time goes on, any time I went back up there, I didn't go on. But I talked to one of the professors of the college, because this was above the college. He lived in a cabin facing the woods, and he said for months, I'd say for, it was this was the year after that, he said for the past year, he had heard whistling almost every other night. I said, you're kidding. He said, no. He said, I hear it almost every night. I mean, uh, well, on Sasquatch in Appalachia, my great-grandparents, before TVs had made their way in the mountains, had seen hairy men drinking at the river, had seen... Oh, a, a, a big one. This is a, a, a shorter story. Uh, they were coon hunters in the 20s, and they had brought a little bit of moonshine with them just to keep themselves warm on a cold night hunting coons. The dogs had got after something, and they said by the time they got up on the dogs... They saw a hairy man rip a dog in half and throw one half at them. 
they shot the critter and it ran off with the dog dead. And this has been in the 20s. So when I interviewed the West Virginia cryptid guy, this was exactly one of my questions. I was like, if Bigfoot is real, wouldn't, you know who would find Bigfoot? Are hunters. Coon hunters, And hound hunters. Yeah. Because they're, they got dogs running after bears. So, so there's a huge hairy okay, guy. So I'm, I'm torn on the idea of Bigfoot being here, but I will say as many bears as I've seen in the woods, I've never found bear bones. I know they're there. I know bears are, bears die in the woods. I've not found a bear bone. Mm. I've not found a, f- a full bear skeleton. Mm. So I'm open and I'm hoping that somebody catches, catches a Bigfoot. Mm. Uh, I've I, found some bear. I found one of them, I think was probably from a roadkill, really? but I found a jaw once. Oh of yeah. A, of a cub. Yeah. Which I know that they, they tend to go for, they go, I, they find a place to hide when they, when they're going to die. Mm. So that, that has to play into it too. But, uh, all I'll say about Bigfoot is if it's intelligent enough to, you know, do what it does, I think it might be intelligent enough to bury its dead. But back to <laughs> back to interviewing. When, oh, yeah. When I interviewed this guy, Les, he showed me some old newspaper clippings from West Virginia of like hunters saying they saw a hairy man in the woods. Uh, and it was that was like what it was called. It wasn't called Bigfoot. It was called yeah, like hairy I mean, man of the woods. Yeah. The, and that's that was what uh, what my family had said and called it. Because they said, I saw a hairy man drinking down by the river. This has been the 1800 stories that have been passed along. You know, when you drive, you know, I drove here. Yeah. It's like five hours of woods. Yeah. It's like there's a lot of woods in Appalachia. So if there are some strange things, this might be one of the regions of the world where it lives. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if, if they ever found one, if it was here, you know. Well, people love it in this area, uh, especially yeah. West Virginia. People have the Bigfoot cutouts. Yeah, they put well, in, their in Norton, Virginia, it's declared a Bigfoot sanctuary. They've got wood booger <laughs> statues. Yeah, they've got a wood booger grill, which is, is pretty good. I've been there. Uh, they've got a Bigfoot statue at High Knob that you need to go see. Now, right. you said a really great slang term wood booger i love that that's what they called it yes i saw a, that a booger is a like haint it's a colloquial term i guess if you want to think of a cryptid it's not necessarily cryptid or or not but it's a creature mm-hmm. uh something's going to get you a booger man mm-hmm. stuff like that that's that's where it comes from mm-hmm. it wasn't the boogeyman growing up it was the booger man mm-hmm. or boogers going to get you mm-hmm. and uh so i mean that's there are stuff that's passed down from hundreds of years ago. And I think, I don't know if I told you this earlier, but people relied so heavily on these superstitions and folkways because that was how you made it through. If you could do, if you had any locus of control, you know, if I say this prayer and do this three times, maybe I'll have some better luck with this this year. Maybe it'll rain when it's, we've had a drought. Knock on wood, we're, we're good. We're, we're going to pass that one up. But, um, I think it's important. It was definitely important to them because they'd take what help they could get. You're saying prayer, superstition, folk, uh, folk magic are all ways yeah. to in the back in the day for people to feel like they had control over. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and while while I don't believe personally, prayer is is allows me to control anything. It's it's the faith that things will will be according to my God's will. And that is my desire, not 
of my own, and that and that there is such Christianity is so important to this uh, and and to the the folk traditions here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're by no means a monolith, and there are different people here and uh, who come from different backgrounds and stuff. But I'm speaking in general about the traditional Appalachian uh, folk folklore, mm-hmm. and it's all tied together. Everything is. Maybe before we end, do you want to, because you started telling me a little bit, you want to do a little bit of local history? Because I love that stuff. You're t- so where so, we took, so we went, we grabbed the books that we think were salvageable from the library. Right. We dropped them off to a, a little area that's a historical so, area. Oh, yeah. So uh, Pound Gap was, is it, it, I think you called it, you said we were, we were in the shadow of Daniel Boone. And that was very true. No, Daniel. no, I said, because you said sometimes you hunt, your oh, friend yeah. owns yeah, land yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, I, I, I said you get a hunt in the shadow of Daniel Boone. Well, well yeah, and I, and I do. I very much do. Because Pound Gap was known as Sound, Sounders Gap or Sounding. I, I forgot what it, how it's referred to in, in his journals and his diaries. But uh, he crossed through Pound Gap into Kentucky that way before he... Um, it was one of the ways he crossed in because he crossed through the Cumberland Gap. Mm-hmm. But Pound Gap is is mentioned in his in his travels and stuff as a way back across, and it, it is that area uh, that is now where Jenkins, Kentucky, is where we donated some some things yesterday. And you were saying up in the woods there, there's an old wagon trail, a settler yeah. wagon trail. Uh, yeah, it comes and it was used until the road came in. It was, I mean, it it, it went back. 150 years, 200 years, um, until the road came in, you know, 50 years ago. So, I mean, those wagon trails are very important to, uh, to people who, who were coming in here. There was a lot of local history of, uh, hanging rock and killing rock, uh, and devil John Wright and Red Fox Jr. And all those, those folks, I'll save that for some other time and stuff, but cause there's hours to be said about that. Hmm. Um, but like this area is steeped in history and there's a lot of violence and bloodshed in these mountains. And I think that ties into the, into the supernatural part too, because mm. there's been a lot of the Hatfield and McCoys I saw, far from here. I saw the signs on the road. Yeah. Well, and I, mean, I only know that about that well, very little. I'm kin to, kin to both sides one way or another through cousins and cousins and cousins. You can, you can do genealogy. I, I do genealogy. Uh, and I've done that for years, but like, uh, I've always found it very interesting. So, uh, with, with that said, um, there was a civil war battle in, uh, in that area. Um, and I mean, I think you can still probably, if you were to find a, take a metal detector and search some of the old, old white oaks, you might find a find a musket ball or two that would be exciting yeah i love all that they've done a lot stuff. they've they found a lot of stuff already and they've already you know cataloged that stuff but i'm sure there's something not that's not been found there's the legend of of rebel gold hidden in caves and stuff do, do you know more about that no i don't but uh a lot of the stories about it uh have led some of the old mountain men that I, we, we grew up around to go and fill in the caves so people don't die trying to get Get in there. They closed up the clay caves. One man did because there's so much folklore about there being treasure back in them mm-hmm. that they 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 wall them in so people don't get lost. Yeah, 
Wow. There's there's so much to be said about that too. I mean, I, I can tell you all these these uh, folk histories and stuff, and I'm not the best person to tell you these. I just know about them. Hey, well, if you can find someone for me, oh, I'll come back to do it. Absolutely, because I love I love the little histories. This folk yeah. history. Oh, sorry about that. The dogs are having a field day right now. It's still chaos down here right now. That's all right. Um. Um. Oh, okay. Final question. Um, unless you have more to say, <laughs> but um, I have been thinking a lot lately, and we've been talking about it with other guests on the podcast yeah. about like ancestors and how that influences who we are and having like cultural or, um, you know, connects us to, to mythologies and story and stuff like that. I just Mm -hmm. love that. So you said you were interested in your genealogy. Like you, are you interested in how that connects you back to Europe? Oh yeah, absolutely. And how, how that influences who you are. So I come from a uh, Scots, Irish, and English background mainly, but uh, 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 there are stories from Old England and songs that have been that have been carried into uh, where we are now and stuff. That it, people I remember hearing stories of people from England coming to visit this area and someone getting their daughter to sing a song, and it's the same exact same exact song that they remember their grandmother singing in England. And so, I mean, this stuff is just pervasive and it's, we're t- we're tied so deeply to our heritage here because it is, it, it is just who we are. You know, we're, we're many different types of people. There's Melungeon here, which is a Creole, it's hard, you can't even call it Creole. It is a tri-racial group of African, uh, indigenous and uh, European ancestry. Yeah. Th- if you read. And even Middle Eastern. Yeah, a lot of novels that take place in the 1800s we'll talk about. Yeah, I, and a lot. Most people here are and they don't know it. Mm-hmm. That's what you're telling me. Yeah, and I mean, there's so much to be said about that, and I'd love to talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, as as far as, as the ancestry here goes, people are more curious about it here, I think. We want to know about who we were. I know... Um, it's a hot topic to talk about the Civil War and stuff, and I'm not here to, to make a, a judgment or accusation one way or the other. It was a different different people. Um, but the the history, to give you an idea of how much we are not what people think we are, Letcher County, where I live, was a Confederate county south of us in Harlan County, or I guess southeast, southwest of us. Uh, southwest of us in Harlan County was a Union County and was a Union stronghold and was pivotal to the Union winning the war in this theater. Hmm. So I I think people can talk about that all day. Uh, so it's, it, and there, there are scars of, of the Civil War still here. And it's not like in Gettysburg where you can see bullet holes in the mountain, you know, trees and in homes and stuff that are still standing. But you can read read the read the journal entries and stuff, and you're like, "Wow, that's crazy!" I know where this the river bend where that is, where the Confederates were routed right here. I know where that's at. It's a Food City parking lot now. <laughs> that is haunting. Yeah, that is haunting. I was actually thinking something so similar. Like, you know, you could be standing in an aisle in Walmart, and 200 years ago. 500 years ago is that a native american camp so uh, about the about the people who were here before the europeans uh there's a lot to be said about that 
there was, isn't a lot known about who who was here. I know the Uchi were prevalent here, the Shawnee and the Cherokee were, and a lot of the uh, encounters with the Shawnee happened in Kentucky with Daniel Boone and stuff. So the Cherokee and Shawnee, to my knowledge and to my understanding, fought what can be thought of as a hot and cold war over the hunting grounds here. And the long hunters were the ones who stayed, and they were Air Force fathers. So, um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yes. And so the I've, long hunters, I want to do a podcast solely on that. Oh, yeah. So the long hunters were coming from like Virginia mm-hmm. and they would come out here for months at a time with like a whole caravan of hunters. Have you heard of place names like Stinking Creek? No. There is Stinking Creek local to here, but I've heard of a couple and I'm sure there's plenty in Appalachia and as a whole. And I'm not sure how many of them are tied directly to this story, but I've heard they're called Stinking Creeks because that's where the long hunters would dress their game. Incredible. And they would dress all their deer down by the river in this part. And it's Stinking Creek because there's rotten game down there. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that. I yeah. love that so much. Yeah. I know Daniel Boone hunt, would hunt black bear just for fat. Mm-hmm. And he would not even eat deer. I've heard that. So, I mean, that's, uh, man, hunting and gathering here is just pivotal to who we are. And we still do it. And you're in, again, you're in the shadow of historical figures, both indigenous and... Oh, well, I, I mean, I found, I asked one of my friends, he's an archaeologist, because uh, I had some atlatl and arrowheads given to me, stone points. And I was trying to ask if he could date them, and he he gave me a ballpark. I know my oldest one, the oldest one, now this is crazy, was pushing 5,000 years old. Wow. Yeah. That you According found or was given to you? It was given to me. I didn't find them. I... I have a mixed mixed feelings about finding arrowheads and taking them. I think it. I've heard people say they come to you when you need them, but also they're not always mine to take. But I know in in like in historical likelihood they might have fallen out of, out of somebody's bag or pocket, or they were lodged in an animal or something. So there's a lot to, a lot to be so said cool. about that. And there, I'll let people argue that all day. That's yeah. not my argument or. I really don't have enough uh, knowledge I have about the, something. I have the soul of a. Um, I have the soul of like a Victorian collector. Yeah. So I like collecting things because it makes things like museums to me are amazing because yeah. it's a house of knowledge. You, there's even a magic when you find something in the woods. It's beautiful, but yeah. when you remove it from the woods and you put it like in your shadow box, it makes it almost like a holy, um, it's a, a token, it, it, it's and like it a becomes ma- yes, it, it, and it becomes magnified because yeah. it's no longer in its natural setting. You've kind well, of somebody in like, West Virginia found a ground sloth skull turkey hunting, and no. it, made, it made the rounds on social media and stuff. And I'm jealous. I would love that. I have. I'm such a nerd, and I love. Uh, uh, paleontology and uh, prehistory and stuff, and Appalachia is covered up in it. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. Did it, they have to give it to a museum or something? Uh, no, they had it identified and stuff. I think they were working with the museum on doing something with it. I'm not sure exactly who that person is. I just remember seeing the picture and reading on it because I was very curious. And I was jealous. Mm-hmm. Man, that, that's a gold mine. He said at first they thought it was a cow skull because they just from looking at it from the creek, but they got upon it. And as soon as they picked it up, they're like, oh, "This isn't a cow skull." And it's like, it looks like one of them ground sloth skulls, I think. And then I think that's the story. I'm sure they're going to, they, they would. Uh, <laughs> that's so awesome. Yeah. yeah. In southwestern Virginia, maybe not too far from here is the. They the, found an American the, cheetah in a cave. Hmm. They, uh, there was some cavers. I don't know if they were going there specifically looking for fossils. I think they were, but they were doing a survey of a cave. And they found an American cheetah in very 
almost good shape. I mean, I don't know how much of it was, was intact, but they found the skeleton pretty well intact. It was 11,000 years old, which the American cheetah uh, was very common in this area post-Ice Age and during the Ice Age. I love it. We, yeah. we, we're in with cavers. We do some caving. Yeah, so I, we've, I've been caving. I love it. <clears throat> we've been shown an area where a saber-toothed cat was found. Really? The scratches are on the wall. Ancient scratches mm. from a saber-toothed cat. Absolutely mind-blowing. The bones are no longer there. They've yeah. been taken to the Smithsonian. Oh, that's crazy. And we've seen the bones of an ancient bear, 200,000-year-old wow. bear. No way. Because um, one of the cavers, the cavers are all like geologists and yeah. scientists. They cut a piece and had it dated. But yet, back in the back of a cave, we got to see this 200,000-year-old bear that has just like melted Man. through stalactites in the wall. One of the most amazing things I've ever That's crazy. But um, I'm pl- hoping with this podcast, one of the ones coming up to do um, West Virginia fossils. Yeah. And I was looking at this guy's website who does a lot of education about um, mm-hmm. ancient animals and stuff and kind of tying in both um, paleontology with archaeology. Yeah. There's a cave in southern West Virginia, and I don't know very much about this. I just read it on this guy's site, that they found European markings carved in the wall that date back, and a skull that date back to the 700s. So they think uh, some Irish people or old Europeans came for these early visitations. The Cherokee have legends of the moon-eyed people who were white-skinned or fair-skinned and had blue eyes and blonde hair, who they absolutely annihilated that were in Appalachia. And that is where the myth of that comes from. I think there were the, there are people arguing about that stuff, which I'm not a folklore expert or anything like that, and I don't know what anybody settled on, but that wouldn't that be something? That would be something. Incredible. Yeah. Cool, brother. Well, I think we've had a great conversation. Yeah, man. Um obviously let's end to go back to the flood. Is there anywhere that you think that you can, someone listening, is there anywhere you can direct them if they're interested so, in helping so, donating? Yeah, absolutely. So donations is, there's a lot to be said about that. Uh, right now I have seen an ebb and flow with donations right now. LCC is listed, which is Letcher County central high school is listed as the uh, donation drop off for the County. Today, they were accepting no donations because they were full. Or yesterday, too. Yeah, yesterday, too. It was a good problem to have. Mm-hmm. But my my fear is that in three days, it's not going to be like that. And I know that they were desperately needing donations last week, about midweek. So is there a Facebook page people can look at or something? Is there anywhere so, where this uh, is organized? Unfortunately, no. There's no organization, and that's something we desperately need. I know there's different organizations doing their best, and every and that's something else is everybody's just doing their best right now. Very uh, grassroots. Yeah, very. There are. I know the Cajun Navy has been killing it. Shout out to them. They've been awesome. Uh, they've bent over backwards. The guard, the National Guard, has, has been a lot of help. They've been delivering supplies to places. And it's just been people helping their neighbors. I've seen kids get take stuff on four-wheelers and side-by-sides up in haulers because they can't get out. I know some places haven't been searched. Um, and so, I mean, the fear is that the death that the death count is going to be higher. And it certainly will be. I know there's people still, a lot of people still missing. And unaccounted for is probably a better word for that. Um, so, with that said... Uh, 
I'm sorry. I really don't. Yeah, really don't that's know. what I, I mean, didn't. I, well, I feel like I don't know. What, we drove. We drove around a couple different locations, dropping some stuff off here and there yesterday, just because it's day by day changes. There are different people in the community who are attempting to organize stuff, but I couldn't tell you who. Is there a fa- any Facebook account no. to look at? Unfortunately, not. I know um, the judge executive's office for the county for Letcher County might have something. Uh, and this is just for Letcher County. I'm still worried about people in Knott and Breathitt and Perry County. I drove through Knott. Yeah. I mean, I've got friends and family there, and I, I don't know what's going on there. I really don't. I know it's not good. I know I've got homeless friends there now, who people who are just starting lives. People who just bought homes, gone. Some A lot of people were hit a lot worse than us. And uh, in Letcher County in particular, I know there's a lot of communities that were absolutely devastated. And there's the talks of demolishing some of them and dissolving townships. And it breaks your heart, man, because I grew up around it. I know these people. They're my friends, my family, my neighbors. They're strangers, too. But it's it's hard to say because we still need help. We need volunteers desperately everywhere. I know the Smile Faith Building in Jenkins is uh, uh, a donation site. They've been clearing out twice a day. And they may or may not be taking donations, depending on, on when you go. But I know that in a couple of weeks when this is old news, we're not going to be receiving help. And it's going to be on us to take what we can get right now and get it out to people. So right now, we're we're stuck. Uh, and for, for us looking right now, it's just like that myth I said, it's uphill. But we're, we're going to come back stronger. I know that much. I know that we're more unified than we've ever been. Powerful brother. Yeah, man. Hey, thank you. No problem, man. I'm glad you came. <laughs> yes, I'm glad I came too. <laughs>